Well, if you would turn to Nehemiah chapter 10, if you have just joined us, though I think most of you have been with us, just to re refresh your memory with Nehemiah. I, I, I know I keep hammering this home, uh, but repetition is the mother of learning, right? So the sovereign hand of God should not be missed. We've seen this time and time again through this book as we've journeyed, that the people of God are called to remain faithful, and that's going to be seen loud and clear in chapter 10, and that God's full restoration does not come until Christ. And, and so Nehemiah, in one way, is looking to the coming of the Lord. In chapter 9, the people gathered by uh, the water gate, not, again, not to be associated with Nixon. Uh, we're probably going to have some more gates before this is over. Yes. But they met down here at the water gate, the Gihon Spring. It's a logical place because it can have a natural amphitheater at that time. It's also a source of water. So if you're there all day, you're going to need that as well. So it makes a logical uh, gathering spot. They didn't meet up here by the Temple Mount. I think partly because the crowd is 30 to 50,000 based on uh, earlier text. So that, that just would not have worked. There's not enough space. There would have been during the Herodian Temple, but not during this time frame. And if you recall, in, in chapter 9, uh, we rehearsed the history of Israel, didn't we? If you just look back in Nehemiah 9, uh, and again, I hope you had a chance to read that during the week. And that history re goes through Israel's disobedient, God punishes, they repent, and then God's compassionate. And, and that's the same cycle that you see in the book of Judges, isn't it? What Nehemiah 9 does is it takes it back and it looks at the entire Israel history and sees this cycle. And as I said, it, it, it seems to get worse and worse as you journey down through chapter 9. And they break out in, in uh, sackcloth and ashes and weeping. And Nehemiah says, no, no, this is the time to rejoice. We're in a festival. When we get to chapter 10, they come back to this. And now it's time for some clear indication, yes, that we have repented. And they declare an oath in chapter 10. And this is what I want you to look at. Chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Actually, let's start in verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 38. In the English uh, version, this was actually part of chapter 10 in the Hebrew. But anyway, because of all this, we are entering into a binding covenant written form. Our leaders, our Levites, our priests have affixed their name on the sealed document. So they, <coughs> excuse me, have... It's not COVID. Um, they've all joined forces and said, yes, we're going to declare this oath. They've heard the word of God being read. They said, now this is our response. And, and you can look through the laundry list. The first of these names is who? In, in verse 1 of chapter 10. Who's the first name? Nehemiah. It's like John Hancock. Here it is. Nehemiah is on the list, right? And so you go through the laundry list and look at verse 28. Now, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple attendants, and all those who had separated themselves from the neighboring peoples because of, and I love this, the law of God, along with their wives, their sons, their daughters, all of whom are able to understand. So you have children here involved as well. It says, hereby... Participate with their colleagues, the town leaders, and enter into a curse and an oath 
to adhere to the law of God, which was given through Moses, the servant of God. So we're talking about the, the Mosaic law. That's the first, it really, the first five books of the Old Testament. And to obey carefully all the commandments of the Lord our God, along with his judgments and its statutes. So where are we? If you look at this spiral, we've got this repentance idea right here, right? We are repenting. And interesting in nine, as you, that last cycle, it, you don't see the, this part here, God's compassion and mercy yet. And they go into exile. They're coming back and they're crying out to the Lord. This is where we're headed. And, and so they're saying, we understand. We are repentant. In verse 30, and so now they're going to show you how they're repentant. And the oath contains four parts. It says, we will not give our daughters in marriage to the neighboring peoples. We will not take their daughters in marriage for our sons. We will not buy on the Sabbath on a holy day from the neighboring peoples who bring their wares and all kinds of grain to sell on the Sabbath day. We will let the fields lie fallow every seventh year and we will counsel, cancel every loan. We accept responsibility for fulfilling the commands to give one-third of a shekel each year for the work of the temple of our God. Watch that phrase. It occurs eight times in this text, and there's temple of the Lord once. For the loaves of presentation and for the regular grain offerings, the regular burnt offerings, for the Sabbaths, for the new moons, and on it goes for all the work of the temple of our God. Verse 34, we, the priests, the Levites, the people, have cast lots concerning the, the wood offering to bring them to the temple of God. And on it goes the first fruits. Verse 36 talks about it. We accept responsibility. It's written in the law about the firstborn and dedication. Verse 37, we bring the first of our coarse meal, our contributions to the temple of our God, along with the tenth of the produce of our land to the Levites. Verse 38, a priest of Aaron's line will be with the Levites when the Levites collect the tithes and the Levites will bring up a tenth of the tithes to the temple of our God to the storerooms of the treasury. The Israelites and the Levites will bring the contribution of the grain, the new wine, the olive oil to the storerooms where the utensils of the sanctuary are kept and where the priests who minister stay along with the gatekeeper and the singers. We will not, watch this, neglect the temple of the Lord. Let's look at this oath slash curse. In fact, the text tells us it's a curse slash oath. We know there are 84 individuals who sign this. Their lists are given. Uh, it's 22 priests, 17 Levites, and 44 leaders. And again, Nehemiah leads the list. We're told in this list, um, there's a paragraph there you can read in verse 28, but I want you to jump down to the curse and the oath, which is intriguing. What this is, that is an unusual phrase, but it means an oath with penalties. In other words, if I don't do X, Y, and Z, may you do to me X, Y, and Z, or A, B, C. I mean, you could fill it in. Uh, McConnellville in his uh, commentary writes, and it recognizes the justice of incurring the wrath of heaven should they depart from the commitment they now give. Where do they get this idea? Turn to Deuteronomy 28. I want you to see this. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy 28. Look at this text. We won't read the entire chapter, but I want you to see how it starts and how it continues. In 28.1, it says, If indeed you obey the Lord your God 
and are careful to observe all the commandments I'm giving you today, the Lord your God will elevate you above all the nations of the earth. That's the first statement. But then in verse 15, but if you ignore the Lord your God and are not careful to keep all his commandments and statutes, I'm going to give, I am giving you today, then all these curses will come upon you. And the rest of the chapter deals with all the curses. <laughs> so it says, if you do this, God will bless. If you don't, I'm going to curse you. And that's what the Israelites voluntarily placed themselves under in chapter 10 of Nehemiah. If we don't do these things, God curse us. By the way, there's an element, uh, element of that in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Implication, if I don't forgive, then you need to deal with me just like I am dealing with others. So the idea is, that's kind of the same idea here. If we don't do these things, then we expect to be dealt with. So they declare this oath. And as I stated, there are several components of this oath which I want to walk through with you. And I want you to observe as we go through, there's some common elements which are vital. All right, so let's go through these and look at them. The first of these, well, <clears throat> as you see, uh, as I, I want to highlight one thing in that paragraph, the four areas are relevant to their present situation. You know, they've heard the Mosaic Law. They tease out these four. Why? Because these are four that are a problem. Also, I want you to note, it's not a direct uh, application of the law and, and what I mean by that is some of the elements here that we're going to see aren't directly stated in the law. It's a hybrid. So there has been some interpretation and do you remember when Ezra had the scriptures read? The priest uh, circulated among the crowd and, and, and taught. They were bringing in tradition. They were bringing in exegesis. Well that's the idea here. And so watch this as we go along. So the first of these is dissolving mixed marriages. Exodus 34 talks about this. They're to avoid the Hittites, the Canaanites, the Parasites. They're not to be marrying them. The Mosaic Law is clear that interracial marriage is forbidden. You go, oh, whoa, that's, that's not good. <laughs> Especially today, you don't say those things. Well, keep in mind, and I, I mentioned this in your notes, uh, this isn't for racial discrimination. It was for religious purity. To keep them uh, holy. To keep them uh, segregated. There's a quote from one of the commentaries that states the Jews, this is the bottom of the page, promise of obedience was at the same time an official declaration of succession. They were separating themselves from a world that followed the whims of the latest philosophies and pagan religions. That was their desire. There is another element here, though, that is missing. Why would they be involved? Not just because their daughter thought that Canaanite boy was good-looking, it was also for political and economic reasons that they would marry the local yokels to fit in. It was comfortable. It was easy. Right? And so you can see in your notes, I mentioned this at that first full paragraph.